This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I began this podcast almost five years ago in order to reach really three groups of you. Those of you who are already very interested in therapy and doing the kinds of things that we're talking about in this episode, which is the Enneagram. For those of you who've just been diagnosed and you're looking for answers, but also for those of you who are a little bit skeptic and might think, oh, I'd never really darken the door of a therapist. They're kind of strange people, but you're just curious enough or perhaps unhappy enough to listen in. Today, we have a very special guest, Beth McCord. She wants you to know she's a type nine on the Enneagram, meaning she's a peaceful mediator. She's also a best-selling author, speaker, and coach. And she's very passionate about working with individuals to help them understand and interpret their own story through the Enneagram, allowing them to see that lasting change, meaningful relationships, and a life of deep purpose is possible. She and her husband, Jeff, created your Enneagram coach which I'll have the link to it in the show notes. They both spent years training under the top Enneagram experts, and now Beth is leading the way to simplify some of these deeper truths of the Enneagram. They do include a biblical perspective in their own work. However, Beth and I kept things very ecumenical in this particular interview. Your Enneagram Coach is actually a community designed to be a safe place for individuals to explore their Enneagram. Beth and Jeff have also developed their own Enneagram assessment, and over 2 million people have taken it, with an average of 2,500 people taking it per day. Additionally, there's a podcast called Your Enneagram Coach, the podcast, that helps couples dive deeper into the Enneagram and receives an average of, get this, 15,000 downloads per episode. But before we talk with Beth, I'd love for you to hear more from one of SelfWork's sponsors, Athletic Greens. And as one of my clients asked the other day, do you really drink that green stuff you talk about? <laughs> and the answer is a definite yes. It's been almost six months now, and it's great. So thanks to Athletic Greens once again for sponsoring SelfWork. Athletic Greens came on board SelfWork now a few months ago with an offer for SelfWork listeners to try their product. And because of being a SelfWork listener, you'd receive bonus products as a gift with a subscription. I don't really know how many of you have tried it, but quite a few I can tell. And I'd love to hear from you about how you're feeling. Please email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com because I'd love to share your experience here on SelfWork. So some of you are saying, what is Athletic Greens? It's a life-changing nutritional habit. Their daily all-in-one superfood power is your nutritional essential. It's by far the easiest and most delicious nutritional habit that you can add to your daily routine today and empower yourself toward better habits. And it's a lot more pleasant than eating celery, I promise you. I've never liked powdered things, but this one isn't too sweet, but also not too grainy. And I look forward to it in the morning. You're actually just getting optimal nutrition on a daily basis and you don't have to take multiple supplements, just one thing. I take a scoop a day, 
and know that I'm getting 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food source ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood, and more. In fact, I just had my annual OBGYN appointment, and his last words to me were, make sure you're getting enough D3, and the supplement you receive as the self-work bonus with a subscription contains both D3 and K2. So I smiled and said, oh, I got that. I hope you'll try it. Both my husband and I love it and have kept it up now for several months because it's making a difference. So here's the link, athleticgreens.com slash self-work. That's, of course, HTTPS colon slash slash athleticgreens.com slash self-work. And I'll have that link for you in the show notes. Beth McCord took time out of her schedule at a conference to do this interview. She really fit us in. So I couldn't be more pleased to now introduce her. Here's Beth McCord. Well, Beth, thank you so much for being on Self Work today. My listeners are excited. I'm excited. I, I actually took the Enneagram years ago, and I think that I was not in a very good mood when I took it. I, I was at a conference, and I was not wanting to study the material. So I said, I think I'll take the Enneagram, and I don't think I liked the result. But we're so glad to have you because I know you know the Enneagram back and forth, so I can't wait to learn from you. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's so great to be here. You wrote a book with Jeff. Um, how how did you get so interested in the Enneagram? Yeah, so Jeff and I got married at the ripe old age of 20. Ooh. Like literally Jeff had just turned 20 the month before. Um, and as anyone knows, marriage itself is pretty hard, but let alone you doing it at age 20, where you don't really even know yourself very well, let alone this other person, you, know, you can start to hit some turbulence pretty yeah, quickly. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, we also had both our kids uh, by the age of 25. So, you know, you add that into the mix and, you know, we loved each other. We were best friends, but we just didn't get each other at times mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we caused some friction and we really desired to know one another and to grow. Um, but there just kept being these roadblocks and frustrations. Well, a lot of that was due to my personality on the Enneagram is the peaceful accommodator, the type nine. Mm -hmm. And type nines have an internal fog. We don't know ourselves very well because our whole life we have wanted peace and harmony and inner stability. And so we go along to get along. So we'll negate ourselves, we'll uh, deface ourselves in and go along in in hopes that it will calm everyone down, everyone will be okay. Well, when you do that, you kind of lose yourself in the process. And and not not knowing it, you just think this is the way life is. This is how you do things. Um, And so by the time I got married, you know, he would want to know like what's going on or, you know, what's maybe irritating me or frustrating me. And it's like, I don't know, you know, like I, I didn't, and it wasn't like I was trying to, you know, evade the conversation. I just didn't have much to offer. So when we found the Enneagram when we were 26. Not a lot of insight into what really was happening with you, it sounds like. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I wanted to know, but I just didn't have the tools and the resources. Mm-hmm. And again, that fog was so thick. Um, and so for 
for me, what happened in 2001, we had friends introduce us to the Enneagram and Jeff was in seminary at the time. So he kind of scanned the book, but he had a lot of other things to be reading. So for me, so for me, even though I had little kids, I had a lot more time to just kind of look it over and I just devoured it. And when I read the type nine, and it was like reading my internal diary. And that is how spot on the Enneagram is. It's almost creepy. Like, <laughs> hey, who's been watching? You know, like, yeah, how, yeah, I think that's why I didn't. I think that's why I didn't like it because I've been. Oh no, I, that's not me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got real exactly. defensive. <laughs> yeah. Well, and usually when you find your type, it sits pretty uncomfortable because the enneagram is this non-judgmental friend that is showing you the best attributes when you're healthy, but also to the darkest uh, caverns that we can face when we're not healthy, mm-hmm. and so and everything in between. So. It's like, how do they know? And usually as humans, we don't look at the <clears throat> the healthy attributes and go, yes, this is me. We usually kind of fixate and focus on those yeah. not so great qualities. And then it feels like the Enneagram is attacking you. And in fact, it's just exposing it all. Sure. And <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so for me, when I found that I was a type nine, I had now vocabulary to explain what was going on in the recesses of my heart, not I mean, it was almost like taking a thick fog and making it kind of cloudy, Mm -hmm. not quite a haze yet, but I was able to navigate a little bit better, explain to Jeff a little bit better. And so it really helped us to come closer together. And then over time, as I kept learning and growing and understanding, it did become more of a haze. Now, something I'm going to always have to deal with, that's part of being a type nine is not always knowing myself. And the the easy inclination to go along to get along. It's just there. So I have to be very mindful of that and do my own work and learning, you know, what do I want and asserting my voice in a very kind and, uh, you know, thoughtful and in good way, but also being assertive. Um, so that's the, the stuff I've had to learn along the way, but that is why it was so helpful because it gave us an understanding of what was going on inside each of us individually, but then how it was affecting us uh, as a couple. So why the Enneagram itself? I mean, there are other personality mm-hmm. inventories. There's obviously yes. Myers-Briggs is huge for a lot of people. Why the Enneagram? Yeah, so for us, the, the thing about the other typologies that are out there, they are great. We, we love them, but they're showing you what you do, your behaviors, your outward manifestation, your preferences, which is great. The Enneagram, on the other hand, is showing you why you do what you do, why you think, feel, and behave in particular ways. And it's showing you based on your perspective of life. So think about there's nine basic Enneagram types now. There's lots of layers. Think about Sherman William paint chips, you know, like there's a lot of blues out there, right? Sure. So there's a lot of variations of each of the nine types. So it's not like you're just being put in one box. But what we want to recognize with the Enneagram is it's helping you to see, think of each of the nine types having sunglasses on, and each of the sunglasses have a different colored shade, Hmm. purple, blue, green, orange. If we were all standing together, we would be seeing things very differently. Very differently, sure, sure. But when we're with people on a day-to-day basis, 
we don't recognize that other people have different lenses on. We think everyone sees the world the same way we do. And therefore, when they think differently, behave differently, we get upset, frustrated, hurt, whatever, yeah. you name it. We accuse them of being colorblind is what we do. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, how could you think that way? How dare you? When in actuality, they're seeing it just very differently. So what we want to learn is to not commit a suicide where we assume incorrectly other people's a great word. Yeah. <laughs> Other people's thoughts, feelings, and motives and react to that. What we want to do is pause ever, even if it's just for a quick second, pause and recognize they might be seeing this and interpreting it and reacting to it from a very different perspective than me. Mm-hmm. What if I ask clarifying questions? What if I get to understand where that really came from? Because if I would have said it that way, or if I would have done it that way, it would have meant this. That person, it could have been a totally different perspective. And by understanding the Enneagram to that level, you're able to, you know, have compassion and understanding, empathy, grace, mercy, forgiveness, and ultimately love towards one another in ways that you can't without understanding how we operate. So the Enneagram takes everything at a much deeper level that um, really accelerates transformation and growth when people use it correctly. Now, some people use it incorrectly, and we need to remind them, don't use the Enneagram as a sword or a shield. You don't want to go, oh, you're being such a three or such a five or or belittling or sarcastic or putting down. Um, you don't want to do that and or to, to others or even to yourself, you know, like putting yourself down. Mm-hmm. Because there's so many great qualities in each type when they're healthy. They're amazing. We also don't want to use it as a shield where we're like, well, I'm a type nine people. Sometimes I procrastinate and you're just going to have to deal with it. You know, like that's not going to promote any kind of growth or for myself personally, but also in relationships, that is not going to be the, the way to grow a relationship. So don't use it as a sword or a shield. One of the things that I wanted to ask you about, each one of these, there, there are nine, uh, Enia actually means nine, as I read, and they you list their core fear, the core desire, the core weakness, and the core longing. Um, I thought those were really interesting. I wondered why there wasn't a core strength, though. You just used that word. And I wondered, because yeah. it says desire, not necessarily that you have a strength but that you have a desire for certain things that you're trying to create. I just wondered about that. It it was interesting to me. Yeah, Yeah. no, that's a great question. So the core motivations, again, are, and this is when people are looking to to understand their type or find their type, you want to look at these four core motivations. Because again, the Enneagram is all about why you think, feel, and behave in particular ways. And these are the one. these four core motivations is how everything, it hinges on that. Now, we do have core strengths. We do have things about us that when we're healthy, we offer the world so much you know, good, so much um, help and service, but from our perspective. But the reason why it's showing this is because this is why we do what we do versus what we do. So usually the strength, like for me as a peaceful accommodator, I am very flexible, easygoing, kind, receptive, non-judgmental. Those are strengths for sure, but that's not why I do something. So I do something. So these four core motivations are the core fear. This is what you're running away from 
are trying to prevent from happening. And then we have a core desire. This is what you're trying to obtain. In the mind, it's almost like, if I finally get this, if I finally obtain, then everything is going to be perfect and fine. So I'm trying so hard to get to this. So you're running from something, you're running towards something. Mm -hmm. Again, this is the why. But then we have a core weakness. And other teachers call it the passion or the deadly sin. And the core weakness is the Achilles heel, the thorn in your side. This is what keeps tripping you up time and time again. And a lot of times we don't even this see is vulnerability. This is vulnerability then. Yeah. There's another way of saying There's a lot of vulnerability it. there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the core weakness is something we have to, to be mindful of and be working on constantly because it's just going to be there. But it doesn't mean we can't grow from it. We can, absolutely. And then there's, like you're saying, there's the strength that comes out of it. Um, And then we have a core longing. This is the message our heart longs to hear. And we're looking for this from people, the world, material things, all these other ways. We're looking for someone to say this to us. But what we need to do is recognize how we can bring that into our life ourselves versus Mm -hmm. relying on something outside ourselves. Okay. Let me let me ask a really basic question, because when I was getting ready for this, I Googled the Enneagram before I Googled you. And so I took what was Google said, hey, this is the most official Enneagram. And so I took it. And then when I took your version, it was different. And I actually got Mm -hmm. I got. Mm, I got similar scores and I got different scores. I'll, I'll explain uh, in a second. Sure. Um, in, in the other one I took, I was a three wing two or a seven wing eight. Uh, mm-hmm. In yours, I was an eight or a, both of them were you're, you're two. These things are too similar that we we can't tell you which one you are because and yours also had a seven eight but had nothing. I was very low on the three, so I don't quite understand. I mean, why yeah. are there different versions for one thing? Yeah, so that's a great question. So, like the Myers Briggs, there's a Myers Briggs headquarters, and if you want to use Myers Briggs, you go get trained there, and everyone comes from one hub. The Enneagram is communal. Um, it, it, there's a long kind of story behind it, but the man who really brought it to the modern age, um, you know, taught some students and, uh, one of the students published uh, work based off of the, the training that they had gotten and, uh, had sued and the student actually won. And what happened with that is it just opened it up for everyone to use as they kind of so please. And so that's a positive and a negative. It allows mm-hmm. people like me who use it from a faith-based perspective mm-hmm. to to venture in that direction and to give my own view and spin on it. But it's also a detriment because there's not one hub that is kind of making sure everything is tightened up just right. It's a little, it's <clears> a little the, concerning on a psychological perspective as far as its validity and reliability and all that kind of stuff. Right. And we have lots. And actually, that's the next thing that we want to venture in with your Enneagram coaches. We're going to pair up with some really elite universities and start doing some research. Uh, They're already doing it, but we have an email list that can really help um, their data and their um, analysis. So that's something we really do want to ramp up. The Enneagram was much more uh, communal. It was more small. They kind of wanted to keep it. They didn't want people just to use it, however, which unfortunately that is starting to be how it is. You know, everyone Mm -hmm. memes this and that. But it needs to be very serious because we're really getting to the core of why we do what we do. It's very exposing. So you've mentioned the why several times, and I'm also very interested in why. I just wrote a book on destructive perfectionism and depression and how perfectionism can often hide 
what is a real depression. Anyway, basically, the reason or how I said my book was different was because I talked about not just how do you get rid of perfectionism, but how it was developed in the first place or why it was created in the first place. Are there are there theories or uh, can you talk about it all trauma or childhoods that tend to create these kinds of characterological traits in the Enneagram? Is, is there research going on about, you say, I, why you do this, but the, you know, why is, is often a developmental issue as well, not just a, you know, an adult issue. So I'm curious about it. Yeah, sure. Well, a lot of teachers in the Enneagram, and I would actually say this myself, is we believe that you're born with your personality type. So you're born with that lens on. And you're seeing and interpreting the world, even as an infant, through that lens, through the energy that you perceive is going around you. And so your your mind, your hardwiring is already starting to develop in these particular ways. And so Mm -hmm. why we say that is if you have a family of 10 kids or like nine kids, and each of them have a different personality, and they experience the same trauma, they're going to react and think and behave and feel it differently. They've seen it differently. They perceive it differently. And then they react differently. And it's like, how is that? They just saw the same thing. It should, you know, shouldn't it be similar? And it's not. When we talk to our siblings, we're like, what? How did you, you know, that's not what happened. It was this way. Or how did that not upset you? Or why did that upset you? And so for us, what we would say is that you're born with your bench, your personality, and you see the world and experience it through that lens. And obviously, our story, the different traumas affect us. And what's happening there is we really believe that it is affecting us, whether in a healthy to an unhealthy way. And what I mean by that is if we have a family or resources around us, as we're going through those traumas or difficulties, and think of it as like you're tending a garden, and you're learning how to cultivate this garden that you have. If you have parents and a community that is giving you the tools to cultivate it correctly and to teach and train you, because there's gonna be weeds, there's gonna need to be pruning. But if they teach you how, it helps you to get through those, those predicaments or traumas in the way that's best for you. Now, if you have parents that are neglectful or they're not helpful or they give you a snow shovel instead of a rake, you know, I mean, like this is going to be very difficult for that, that child to be able to navigate and to grow through those well, um, areas. You're really touching on attachment. You're touching on stable and safe attachment versus insecure or, you know, uh, poor uh, or avoidant, you know, the, the things that lead to problems with attachment and how that is so tied in with, you know, again, <laughs> whether you're getting a rake or a snow shovel and and how safe you are in your family. So mm-hmm. that's interesting that. Yeah. So what I would say is, so for instance, um, just to kind of like pull back a little bit back to the, the maybe you're a three, seven or an eight. So the threes are constantly afraid of being a failure, being exposed as a failure. Mm -hmm. Um, It's about their image. It's about looking good and being admired. Um, And so for the the three, they're willing to put on a mask or a face to, to, to be whatever anyone that wants to be. Whereas the type eight, then they're all three of these are go getters. They'll get things done, but the eight is going to do it. And they're going to do it very upfront, very blunt, direct, you know, I am what I am, I say what I need to say, 
and they're not putting on a mask. In fact, they refuse to put on a mask. They don't want to be betrayed. That's their. That's what they're fearing. Is someone going to betray me or or uh, blindside me? And then the seven, they they'll go get things, but it's about gluttony of experiences. They want the next fun thing and the next exciting thing. They're they don't want to be tied down or restricted or bored. And so if you have those three kids all lined up and they're experiencing some kind of trauma, they're going to interpret that trauma from a different lens. The sevens might feel that they um, have to be trapped in emotional pain. And that is super fearful for them to have to live in emotional pain constantly. They want to go to the next joyous thing. The eight is going to feel they were betrayed and they're on their own. They can't trust anyone. And so they're going to go live their life as if, well, it's just me. Got to do it. The three, on the other hand, is going to be like, what did I do wrong? In the sense of I must have done something. I didn't show value enough. Therefore, I was harmed in such a way. So I'm going to put on an even bigger mask and become whatever this person wants me to become. And so that maybe that will preclude them from hurting me again. So I'm going to achieve more. I'm going to look the part. So again, those three kids are coming to us the same situation, but they're going to see it and interpret and then react to it from their own point of view. That's an interesting way of looking at it. Um, I, I, I think that's fascinating. And there are obviously a lot of people that <laughs> who who love the Enneagram and, and believe that. So I, I think it's an interesting kind of perspective. What about gender or gender identity? I mean, are, are there do Certain genders tend to be no. You're shaking. She's shaking. Yeah. No, for those of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The interim does not address gender because any of the females or males can be a type eight or a type five or a type six. Okay. Now, society, on the other hand, will dictate whether it's feminine or not feminine. So, in America, it is great for a man to be an eight and to be a go getter and say things like they you know need to and be the boss, you know. But a woman, they get a lot of pushback on that. And they unfortunately get certain names attached to it. Why? Well, that's a society thing. That is not an Enneagram thing. So what we try to do at Your Enneagram Coach is help everyone to see the beauty of each of these types, the sure. gifting they have when sure. they're at their healthiest. Now, the Myers-Briggs every does type that too a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, for instance, a type four is the emotional feeling go into the depths. Well, that's... But people in America would pretty much think, well, that's a female thing. Well, no, mm-hmm. there are a lot mm-hmm. of males out there that have a lot of deep feelings. I just um, talked with a man four. yesterday. I just talked with a man yesterday who said, you know, I'd much rather sit under a tree and read poetry than I would, you know, lead a corporation right. or something. So sure, they're or change a tire. You know, it's yeah. just you know, sure, so there are a lot of men. It's like really them. society that is putting a stigma on these types and whether it's appropriate or not appropriate for a gender to be one or the other, but the Enneagram itself does not go there. Hmm. What about the role of mental illness? I mean, is is mm-hmm. is that at all talked about in the Enneagram? Because it's it's more characterological and you know, even in the in the, the diagnostic, I'm I'm not a huge believer in sticking with diagnoses, by the way. Um I'm pretty loosey goosey about that. But I think we're actually using the diagnostic manual way too harshly and and rigidly. But 
in in the classic rubric of psychiatry and psychology, um, they would say there are these diagnoses that are disorders, and then there are characterological disorders, which are more about how you interact with other people. And it was interesting to me too. This is a second part of this question. So is is mental illness at all woven into this? Um, to this way of thinking, but also I noticed this interesting kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, dichotomy between that there are nine personality disorders and they are, they are in three clusters and then there are nine personality types and they are in three clusters. And so, um, you know, in, in the psych, uh, the DSM-5, you have cluster A, which is sort of odd, eccentric people. You have B, they're very emotional or erratic people, dramatic people, and C, it's anxious and fearful. So you have, and I thought, wow, this is instinctive, emotional, and mental. I wonder if there is some kind of just a, a relationship there, some kind of relationship. And just to say very upfront, I am not a therapist or trained in that area. So I do Enneagram coaching work. So I just want to be very clear and upfront with that. But what I have learned from other Enneagram teachers, um, they will kind of show at your healthiest, this is what that personality is going to look like. And then there's nine different levels of digression. And when you get down to that very bottom level, they will point out different personality traits or disorders that that personality tends to fall into mental illnesses or psychological disorders or characterological disorders um, do they just kind of stay away from the whole topic of mental illness i'm sure there's some that are are getting into that but i haven't studied it so i don't want to really paint the picture but what i will say is it no matter what personality you have i think the types can lean into certain um go down a path that's very similar mm-hmm. in whether it's a personality disorder or mental illness. Um, but I don't know exactly how okay. that all correlates because I haven't really studied there. So, but I think it's a fascinating question. Yeah. It's, it's kind of interesting really... to think about, isn't it? I would love to see those, yeah. those digressions. I like that word too. We all digress from time to time. <laughs> that's for yeah. sure. Sure. Um, so I want to get to how to use this in your relationship. Cause I think that's obviously your special, but you also said that um, it, what are the misconceptions about it? Is it that somebody was thinking they wanted to take it or ask their partner to take it? And you know, I, I really believe, and I think one of the cool things about Enneagram or any of those things that that you are using to help people understand how they like to be, someone likes to be approached, or how someone, I think the strengths thing you mentioned what's the strengths what is that called again the strength strength finders yeah a lot of people in corporations that i've worked with have taken those and they even have little stands on their desks about how they like to be approached and where what their strengths are i think it's interesting Mm -hmm. because it gives people a common language yes we have a common language we tend to communicate better um everybody understands what the words mean and then so you you use them um well but what are the misconceptions about either using the enneagram or the enneagram itself 
Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people might think, um, oh, well, I'm going to find out all about myself and all I got to do is apply a few rules and principles and then poof, like I'm never going to struggle again or a relationship's going to be perfect. And <laughs> as much as I would love for that to be true, we do live in a fallen world. <laughs> like there are weakness and frailties, but the great thing is, is the Enneagram shows not only can we grow and transform and kind of pay up uh, pave a path for us and what that mm -hmm. looks like, um, it can accelerate because it's so, it brings so much clarity, so much understanding. Um, what might take us years to do on our own, it, you know, it's just, it's just a shortcut and, but we want to be careful in how we use it. So for instance, I, I talk about the Enneagram being like an internal GPS. So your main type, your, cause we use all nine types to varying degrees. That's why it can be a little confusing when people are like, well, which one's my main one, you know, cause like, but I do a little of this and a little of that. We want to find the one that is the one that reigns supreme, the core motivations that really get you going inside. But so think of your main type as that current location on the GPS that you have in your car. Mm -hmm. Then you have a healthiest destination. This is where you're wanting to go. Mm -hmm. Now, well, here we go. We're, we're, the Enneagram says, you know, for me as a type nine, you know, healthiest destination is actually waking up to myself, knowing myself, asserting myself and going in that direction, engaging with life. Whereas a nine typically, again, goes along to get along the fog. So I'm like, okay, well, here's that. Now I know the answer. Let's just go. Well, it's not that simple. It's not great to have simple. that clarity. <laughs> and it's great to have that understanding. But we do tend to get distracted in the car. We fall asleep at the wheel, whatever. And we start to veer off course, right? And we start to fall into common pitfalls time and time again. And we throw up our hands and go, why is this happening again? And the Enneagram helps to us to understand that our personality style when we are not fully awake and alert and, and just really heading down that healthiest path, when we start mm -hmm. to diverge over, we can use the Enneagram as that rumble strip on the highway, you know, that wakes you up, alerts you. The Enneagram is going to say, hey, I know this feels natural to you. So for me as a type nine, I know it feels natural to go along, to get along, to try to keep the peace. It feels good and right. But you're going to end up in this pit again because those who avoid conflict create conflict, right? Yes, exactly. So now I, so now I know this, even though it feels like it's the right thing to do, I know that is not the healthiest path for me. So when I hit that rumble strip and I start to feel myself slipping over in that direction, I can be alert and awake and then bring the steering wheel back into the healthiest path. But again, the healthiest path is hard. You know, it's transformative. It's great. Mm -hmm. But anything that we do that creates transformation. It's a risk. Life, it, it takes, a, it, yeah. you're going to have to take a risk. It takes courage to come out of your habitual way of responding right. and really try to act in a healthier way. Maybe, maybe for a nine, as you say, it's in a more assertive way. And for, but mm -hmm. for another one of the personalities, it would be maybe to be less assertive or exactly not, not to grab so much of the attention and to be a better mm -hmm. listener and to, yeah. So I can see how, I mean, I, I'm a therapist. I've watched people see, recognize something as a problem and then begin to try to change it. And sure. I, I was thinking of that poem, um, that I'm sure you've seen many of us have about 
the hole that you in the sidewalk or that you walk by and you fall in it and you walk by and you fall in it and you walk by and you fall in it. And finally you see it and then you go a little bit around it and you still fall in it. And then you go all the way around it and you don't fall in it. And then you decide to go down another road. (laughs) So it takes a long time to change those habits. And so that's interesting. Okay. So so the, the path of growth for all nine types is very different, just like you said. And that is why this is so powerful because you know, especially as a therapist, if you understand their core motivations and where they're going to keep falling into those common pits, you can, again, fast track, accelerate their growth by helping them to see the healthiest path. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, just to, let me go quickly. There are nine types in your in your rubric. Number one is moral perfectionist. Number two is a supportive advisor. Number three is a successful achiever. Four is a romantic individualist. Number five is an investigative thinker. Number six is a loyal guardian. Seven, an entertaining optimist. Eight is a protective challenger. And nine is the peaceful mediator. I just wanted to make sure we name those because we mentioned some of them and not yeah. all of them. So how do you how do you try to help couples use this um, for their own betterment? Yes. So we have a book called Becoming Us. So Jeff and I wrote that. We do live events around it. But we also created actually 45 courses, one for each couple type combination. Because just like I said, like as a therapist, you can kind of fast track and specialize in their personality type. Well, the same is with a couple type combination. Now, this doesn't have to be a marriage. It could be a work relationship, parent, child, any two Enneagram types that come together, there's going to be friction, um, Mm -hmm. could be positive or negative, right? And so what we want them to understand is why. Why is this happening? So when a couple or, you know, two people are having friction, we want to look at why. Think of, and what we do is in the course itself, we have the infinity loop that we call the dance. Each of the types is one of those kind of circles that converge together. And inside the loop in the infinity loops is their core motivations, this is why they're doing what they're doing. So for instance, my husband and I, my husband's a type six, the loyal guardian, and I'm the peaceful uh, mediator. So for my husband, when he is ready to express something, he gets kind of passionate, you know, he might get a little intense. It's not always necessarily negative, but as a nine, that energy feels like conflict or something's wrong. And I might start to shut down. Well, one of his core fears is abandonment uh, to (laughs) not have guidance, to not have support. And so you can see immediately. You're guarding something that's not there anymore. (laughs) Yeah. So my, even if it's emotionally shutting down, maybe I'm still present, but I'm emotionally shutting down. He can sense that and it immediately triggers his greatest fear of abandonment. Now, what happens for him is he starts to get bigger and more, you know, intense and like uh, the pursuer. Well, because he's thinking, no, let's fix this. Let's work this out. Let's, you know, connect. Let's have security. But all I feel is the energy of conflict. And so I want to shut down more and maybe I'll start to physically leave the situation and around and around we, the dance goes. So the infinity loop around and around, unless we recognize what's going on. We don't assume incorrectly, assume aside, and we ask clarifying questions and we support one another. So now when he told me when I do that, he feels abandoned. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want you to feel that. That's not what at all what I'm trying to do. I just feel overwhelmed and kind of scared. Not because he's not big. It's just that's my internal fear. Mm-hmm. Now I can say, hey, I'm, I'm starting to get disorganized inside. I'm overwhelmed. I, I feel like I need to leave the situation or not engage. 
can you give me 15 or 20 minutes just to kind of calm down internally? I'm still for you and us, even though maybe we're starting to get in in a disagreement, but I'm for you. Can you give me that space? Well, that changes the whole dynamic. Now, I don't need him to say that to me because that's not my thing. What I need from him is to lower the volume or the intensity or the passion, not because that is wrong of him, but how it lands on me, it causes certain things. So the Enneagram is going to help you to understand what's going on and why it's going on so that you can pivot and change how you're relating to one another. Um, So what is up with you now? What's on the agenda? You have a book, you have these courses, and what else is going on? Yeah, so we have anywhere from Discovering You that helps people to discover their Enneagram type and understand the nuances in a very easy to understand format that's Discovering You, all the way to our Become an Enneagram Coach course. So we help uh, just coaches, therapists, uh, ministry workers, um, and businesses to understand the nuances of those that they're working with mm-hmm. and to then how to coach them, how to use it in therapy. So our Becoming a Grim Coach course is also really what we're passionate about. We have over 1,300 coaches in 20-plus countries wow. that are yeah, that are really utilizing and accessing this to help enhance growth, whether individuals, couples, families, teams. And so that's what we're really passionate about. And so we, again, have anything from the beginner course all the way up to become an Enneagram and that is, that And that's is what we're really passionate course. about. That's a faith-based course. It is a faith-based course, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We do have tools and resources that they can use with others that are not Christians, um, mm-hmm. but the training itself comes from a Christian perspective. Okay. Well, we wanted to make sure people realize that because, you know, you may or may not yes. be a Christian. And so that we, you don't want to go to the site and go, whoops, <laughs> not for me. Exactly. So yeah. I really appreciate you making that distinct. Um, and it still might be interesting to you, even if you don't. Yeah, it's welcome. As a Christian. It's welcome to anyone. Right. Sure. Yeah, it's welcome sure. to all. Sure, of course. Well, I want to thank you so much. And I, you're at a conference. Yeah, Guys, you. she's at a conference and she took time out to be with us on Self Work. So thank you so very, very much. Thank you for doing this work in the world. Yes, and thank, thank you for you. being on Self Work. And I wish you more than well. And uh, she's from Nashville. So any of you who are in Nashville, you might look to hear her speak or want her to speak at your or for your organization. You can, what is your w- website? Yep, you're in your Enneagram coach.com. Your Enneagram coach.com. Thanks so much, Beth. Have a great day. Thank you, you too. I want to thank Beth so much for being on. Again, the website that she and her husband Jeff created is called Your Enneagram Coach. Then they also have Your Enneagram Coach, the podcast, which I'll have links to in the show notes, and I know they'd love to have you there. Again, remember, there is a Christian perspective there, although we kept this conversation very ecumenical. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for being a listener to Self Work. Thanks for the ratings and reviews you've left. I won't read them today because this was a little bit longer episode, but I'll read them next time because some of them are really very, very special. And of course, my book, Perfectly Hidden Depression, is on sale at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and actually at your bookstore if you want to give them some business. I bet they'd appreciate it. And it's actually a workbook with over 60 exercises to follow if you struggle with really accessing and connecting with emotional pain from your past. It could really help you, whether you consider yourself a perfectionist or not. 
My website is drmargaretrutherford.com. You can email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com or you can leave a speak pipe message on my website or here in the show notes. Take very good care and thank you again for being here. Thanks to Beth McCord. I'm Dr. Margaret and this has been Self Work.